here and talk to you guys about what God has put on my heart. Um, yeah, I have some heavier things to talk about, so we're just going to jump straight into it. And yeah, so I have been asked to come up here and talk to you guys about community. Community is something that, I really, that, that is really special to me because I've never had it before I knew Christ. I thought that if you, were, if you interacted with the cool or popular kids or the guys that could get the pretty girls, you would be satisfied and have life. As I, as I transferred to Heritage Christian for high school, these desires took me to the darkest place of my life. I began interacting with the cool kids that everyone wanted to be and that could get the pretty girls. I was believing the lie that if I had a pretty girl who would notice me and want to be with me, then people would want to be me. But I never got their attention, and so I turned to the internet where beautiful women would give me attention, and my addiction to pornography in high school consumed me. If it couldn't get any worse, the guys that I thought were cool and were my friends hated me. And so I started smoking weed to escape, to escape from life and these desires that only betrayed me. I found that smoking, or I found that those who would smoke weed with me wanted to escape also, and so we would all hang out together. However, I couldn't escape far enough. Eventually, the people I smoked weed with would betray me. At this point, I wanted to escape from everything. I was desperate to find what I was created for, or I was going to, to die try. I was going to die trying, literally. I was looking for community and a relationship that I was created for. God was... God was right when he said that it's not good for man to be alone. And then I met God, and he showed me how much he loved me and how jealous he was for me and then gave me community. This community changed my life and showed me where life really was. However, for you to understand and receive this fellowship, you first have to receive the relationship with God who gives you the community. With this being said, the relationship with God is the biggest... With this being said... I, wanted to sh I want to show you the most important truth that I've come to learn in my life, that being, or that has brought me into my relationship with God. The biggest theme that I believe the Bible communicates that the Lord desires for you to understand, and that is that the gospel is the means by which we come to experience and enjoy the life-giving relationship with the living God that we were created to be in. John 17, 3 says this, For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Would you please bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. We thank you for yeah, the opportunity that you give us to get into your word, Lord. God, I, I pray that you would come, Lord, that you would speak in your boldness and your power, God, that you would come with precision, Lord, as you surgically come into our hearts and you take out our sin, as you reveal our sin, and that you would save us from our sin, God. I pray that you would be here in this place. God, that you'd speak through me, Lord, and that people would come to see you and not me, Lord. I pray, yeah that they would see you, that we came here to experience you, God, me included. And so, Lord, I pray, yeah, that you would come in all of your boldness, in all of your power, and that we would see you, and that we would worship you. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. So if you would turn with me to Genesis 3, 6, that'd be sweet. Freaking sweet. Um, so it's fitting if there's this big theme that I think the Bible clearly communicates that we would start from the beginning of the Bible, right? And so I'm glad that you guys are turning with me to Genesis 3.6. Assuming that you guys are there, let's dive into it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired 
and to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to, and made them loincloths. They made loincloths for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you seen, or have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said to the serpent, or the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And in verse 23, it goes like this. And therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. And so, as you guys have probably picked up on, this is the story of the Garden of Eden. And so, in this, there's a certain situation that we all have experienced. And that's really, that really declares this, which is really cool, is that as we sin, we run. And when we run from when we run in our sin, we also try and attempt to fix our sin as well. And so as you see Adam and Eve here, the situation is very clear that as they sinned, they attempted to sew together fig leaves as if to cover up their nakedness as they saw as a result of their sin. And then when they failed to fix their sin, they ran. They hid from God. And so as we see this, there's three big themes here. That they sinned against God and hid out of fear of him. Two, that the Lord pursued them in their sinfulness. And three, however, their fellowship with the Lord in the fullness of his presence is broken. And so in this, we see that God is continuing to chase after them. However, they still have to leave. It's just like John um, 3, 19 through 21. And it goes like this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, it's just like me. When I was uh, back in high school, when I was smoking weed, the last thing that I wanted to do was to go and to tell people what I was doing or what I was committing. It's the same thing here. As I, I would run, I would run and I would run and I would run away from people. For example, do you remember at the time, do you remember the time that you had sex with a boy or girl? Do you remember that time that you drank so much that you forgot what happened that last night? Do you, were you like me and you smoked weed or did drugs and you tried to escape in that way? or when you looked lustfully at someone, or when you gossiped about the person, or lied about cheating, or when you stole that thing. Do you remember how guilty you felt? You haven't told anyone these things because you hide in the dark. You know that you have sinned and fallen short just like me before a holy and righteous God. And you are afraid of the condemnation that should ensue as a result of our sin. And so you have run into the darkness. Now, you might be asking yourself, why is this so important, Brad? What, what is so important about seeing that our sin, and even as we, we see our sin, even as we try to fix our sin, that we would just, yeah, that we run, or that we're ashamed of it. It's like, no, duh, thanks, Brad. That, that's really helpful. 
Well, Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 12, says it clearly and answers that question really fast. And it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, and, sim- and simplified. Romans 6, 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. The reason that we all die is because we've all sinned. As we see, Adam died because he sinned. So do we all die because we've all sinned. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And no matter what we do, there's nothing that we could do to fix our sin. There's nothing that we could do to wrong or to right our wrong. Isaiah 64, 6 goes on like this and says that we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. What's being said here is that we cannot do anything right before the Lord. Our righteous deeds are literally like a polluted garment. What's being said here is it's like you go before the Lord and you wiping your butt with toilet paper or with a rag and saying, hey, God, look, I've done something right. Look at me. And God's like, no, you've literally done something wrong. And this doesn't do anything to make up for the wrong that you've done. We can't undo our wrong. And, and everyone is this way, as it says at the beginning of the verse, that we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That there's nothing that we could do to earn God's favor, earn his love. And that when we, when we commit sin, that there's nothing that we could do to ever make it right. That if I was to punch one of my roommates in the face and break his nose, there's no way that any, there's nothing that I could do that I could ever make it right. That his nose is broken and it will always be broken. I could go buy him lunch, I could go buy him dinner, I could do whatever, but it it won't change anything. His nose is broken. And so as we see this, there's nothing that we can do. There's absolutely nothing good of me. There isn't. And there's nothing absolutely good of you either. There's nothing. We are all desperate and unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. There's nothing that's good in us. And the reason that we hide, the reason that Adam and Eve hid was because they recognized this very truth, that as they sinned, that there was nothing that they could do to make it right. There was nothing that they could do to make it right. And so they hid. They ran from God. Psalm 5, 5 through 6 says this, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who... You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. It's really, really important to understand that we have all sinned because this is how God sees us in our sin. That God hates the sinner and the sin. So often we've believed in our culture that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. And the Bible clearly doesn't say that. As we see in Psalm 5 through five through six, that the boastful shall not stand before your eyes, that you hate all evildoers. As we saw in John chapter three, that we hide in the darkness because we recognize that our works were evil. And so here, God says that he hates all evildoers that, and that he destroys those who speak lies and that he abhors those who are bloodthirsty and deceitful. This is how God sees us in our sin. This is a huge problem. This is a huge Huge problem. Let us not lean on comfortable cliches that say that God loves the sinner but also hates the sin. God hates the sinner and also hates the sin. I want to let this soak in for a second because this is a reality. 
Now, God has to respond this way. He has to. He has to respond this way. God is good, holy, and just. He is righteous beyond belief, beyond understanding. He has to hate the sinner. We, have, we all have a moral understanding of right and wrong, right? And we all desire for justice. This came from God. There is even a superhero group called the Justice League. We all desire justice. The question is, how much justice do you want? Do you want some justice or do you want all justice? Because God has to give it all. If God is a good judge, he's not going to oversee any, any wrong, any wrong at all. When we see Hitler or Stalin, we desire for justice. We desire for punishment. We desire for them to be punished. Now, if we don't desire for the only, not only the big things, but the little things to, to be punished, then what are we desiring for? What are we looking for? There's inconsistency here, and God isn't inconsistent. God is eternal and always unchanging. He never changes. And so God has to deal in this way. It's the same idea that no one ever thought that the Holocaust was good. That no one here in this room would say that the Holocaust was good. There's a definite right and wrong. And the little white lie, it's big enough that God can't be in its presence. That God can't be or can't accept the little white lie. He can't turn a blind eye to the little white lie. That, this, that the stain is so big that he has to acknowledge it. It's like this sweet analogy that darkness can't survive in the light. As you look outside, it's dark, right? If you turn on a really bright light, if the sun came, it would destroy the darkness. The darkness is a great example of our sin. That once God steps into the presence of our, of our sinfulness, it destroys it. it can't, he just can't be in the presence of sin. And so that's why Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Because they couldn't be in the presence of God. God sent them out as a mercy so that they would continue to live on, so that he would come and restore their, the, the fellowship and the community that he desired to have with them, that he had before the fall, before sin entered the world. It's the same idea, ladies and gentlemen. The light destroys the darkness. So does God. God can't be in the presence of, of sin or evilness or of evil. And so as a result... God sends the sinner to hell because he, he sinned and he can't be in the presence of a holy God. He has to leave. And so in this, Romans 7 is so fitting, right? It says this, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Guys, there's nothing that's good in me and I can't change the wrong. I can't do good. But thanks be to Jesus that he would, right? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3, 16 through 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's this thing called a paradox, okay? And it's that I want you to look at the cross, okay? And that this... When you see the cross, Easter happened last week, right? That God absolutely hates the sinner and hates the sin. Look at the cross. Someone took three nails, two through the hands and one through the, both of his ankles, and he suffocated to death. Do you see how much God hates the sin? Do you see how much God hates the sin? This is what's due to you and I. 
And I'm not saying it's just you. This is me as well. But do you see the great love that God has? Do you see the great love that God has? That he loves you so much that he took your place. He who knew no sin went on the cross and took the nails for you so that you could have life. There's a reality here where God hates sin so much that he would kill his only son. But he also loves you so much so that he would take your place. Do you see this? For God so loved the world. But there's a price for your sin, and the wages of sin is death. Someone has to pay it. You can't pay the price of your sin. You can't. You will die. But Jesus was perfect and holy, and he could be the atoning sacrifice for you. He could be the one to pay the debt. That Jesus came. That's what's sweet about this paradox is that, dude, when you see the cross, God hates the sin and the sinner, but do you see how much he loves the sinner at the same time that he would take his place? It's a beautiful truth. It's a beautiful truth. And so, as we understand the gospel, the gospel is the means by which we come to experience and enjoy the life-giving relationship with the living God that we were created to be in. John 17, 3, again says this, For this is eternal life, that we may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Just to acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and whoever receives him, by the way, whoever prays and accepts Christ, like that's one thing, but whoever actually walks in a relationship with him is another, that we were given eternal life to be with God that we would enjoy him in a relationship, that we would know his person. And so this is a huge deal that God would give us the gospel because it's the gospel that allows us to experience God and to re-enter into the life-giving relationship that does actually save us. Because it's not, it's not praying necessarily this prayer that saves you, but it's entering into this relationship that does. There's an example that I really enjoy and it's that, of a, it's that of a wedding. When you get married, you are not going to invite just random people to come to your wedding. You're just not. You're really not. Like, you're only going to invite those who, who love you and who know you and are invested in a part of your life. Eternity with God is the exact same way. That God is only going to invite those who know him and experience him and live with him that he wants to spend eternity with. This is what God desires. God didn't desire just to save you from your sins so that you would go on sinning, but so that you would experience and live in this life-giving relationship with the Lord. There's this sweet quote that I like, and it goes like this. You know that you love someone when home turns from a place to a person. And when you think about heaven, do you want to go to heaven because it seems like a nice place? place to go? Or is it that you want to go to heaven because you want to be with God? There's this reality where it's like you have to run after God. God has to be your desire. To know God, to be a Christian, is to want to know God more, to want to live in a relationship with the Lord. And it's in this relationship that we find life. It's in this relationship that we receive life and that we were created for. And as I said earlier, a little bit in my testimony from Genesis, it ta or God talks about how it's not good for man to be alone, that we were created to be in relationships. 
that we were created to be in community. And God desires this. And so God gave us the gospel so that we would be able to re-enter into the relationship, the saving relationship with Jesus, so that we would know him and experience his great love. And so with this being said, this is the understanding that we have to come to before we can come to receive or even look for community. And so if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2, 43 through 47, that would be sweet. And so we have to see, before we get into this verse, before we get into these verses, that God died so that we would experience his life. As we see in 42 and, 40, and through 47, let's just go ahead and read it real quick. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wait, what did that say at the end? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How did we get from them being devoted to people coming to know Jesus? And this is something that's really, really important to see, is that they didn't just go desire community, look for community, go to try and receive community just because they thought that that would be nice. But what actually happened is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Their desires were met and seeking after God first, that they ran after God, and as they ran after God, they experienced the Lord. And as they experienced the Lord, other people came alongside them and experienced the Lord together. As you see in, uh, in verse 43, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. As they came to experience the Lord, the Lord did awesome and incredible things. That they experienced him, that literal awe came upon them, and they saw wonders, signs, and miracles. And it continues. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. As they chased after God, God was literally their everything. They counted everything as lost compared to knowing God. And once you have other individuals that count everything as lost compared to knowing God, and they come together, they have everything in common, literally everything in common, because that's all they have. And so they run in the same direction together. And 45 and 46 go on to display what actually happens as a result of knowing and understanding these things because this is a, a cause and effect as it continues to go down. And in 45, it goes like this. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's weird. Because for me, honestly, when I go to dinner with someone, I honestly, I really struggle just to buy them dinner. And on here, in this scripture, it says that they sold their possessions and belongings. I can't remember the last time I was so happy to, to buy someone dinner, but they literally sold, like, their house, their car, everything out of love for their brothers who had need. Do you see this? They sold literally everything for their brothers who had need. And 46, and, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread 
In their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. After they literally gave up everything, they were still glad, and they were still generous. They were still giving things, and they were doing this together as a community. Do you see this? It's like they are literally running together because they have this one thing in common. But it started out with them chasing after Jesus together after they experienced this gospel. And this is what's cool. This is what's really sweet. Is that as, as a result of all of these things, 47 happens. And praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That this community was so well known that people wanted to be a part of it. That people wanted to be a part of this, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It, it wasn't like, oh, this sounds like a really cool community. I actually want to be a part of it. It was like, I see the living God, and I want to be a part of this community. I want to know God so much so because I see these, the way that these guys are loving one another. I see them worshiping the real God. And so the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The reason that I get so, so excited about community is because it, one, affected my life so much so that it brought me into a closer relationship with Jesus. But two, I got to see the closest, some of my closest friends come to know Jesus, including my twin. And it wasn't because I was able to speak with so much clarity, with such, such wise or strong words, but it was because I was able to show them who Jesus was. For example, I, I, like I said, I got to see my twin come to know Jesus. But I also got to see like Alex Morgan and Taylor Erickson, like my junior year. And then my senior year, I got to see Luke Sweet come to know Jesus, and then five others in like a period of two weeks. And it wasn't a result of, of me having this, this great understanding, but it was a result of how God drew us together as a close community. And as people saw these things and experienced the Lord, they came to know him and want to be a part of this relationship. And that, guys, I just want to show you, I want to continue to hit home the thought as, as I wrap up, is that if you're desiring community, you're never going to find it. Just like me in high school, I desired to, to seek and to find community. I desired to, to find these things that I thought were going to satisfy. And I want to tell you right now, but that's the enemy telling you that that's the way to live your life. That the, that the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. And that our satisfaction is first found in our relationship with Jesus. First and foremost. And it starts with our great understanding of knowing how much we need Jesus and how far he went to save us. That he literally went on the cross. He literally bore a criminal's death because he loves you so much so that he would take your place so that you could have his life and he would take yours. And then as you, as you fall in love with this beautiful thought, as, as home changes from a place to a person, we experience the living God. We know him. And as a result, the Lord will give us community. As I ran after community in high school, yeah, I just, I thought that that would save me. I thought that would give me satisfaction in life, but it was never the case. It was only God. And once I actually came to know Jesus, it was he who gave me community that I could never have received apart from receiving God. And so guys, I, yeah, I just, I just want to, yeah, spend, some, spend a hot second in prayer real quick as I wrap up and invite the, 
the worship band up. God, I, I pray, Lord, that you continue to, to reveal to us and bring back to remembrance the idea of this, this paradox, Lord, of how great and how heavy our sin is, Lord, and how much we need you, but how much, but, but how far you went to show us your love, God, that you would take our place, that we would experience you, Lord, and that you didn't just save us so that we wouldn't experience sin no longer, but that we would experience you in the fullest, God, that you wanted to come back to restore us to the Garden of Eden, to the fullness of your presence. And so, God, I pray that you would come and fill our hearts with you, that we would see you and know you, God. Lord, to know you is to want to know you more, and I pray that you'd press into our hearts to see you, God. We need you, Lord. I pray that you would come. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.